Yeah, Friday! Welcome to the Ranting Weight Watcher Podcast. The future number one weight loss podcast in the world. I am your host, Donato Russo. I hope you enjoy the show today. If this is your first time here and you enjoy the show, please like, share, comment, and subscribe. If the podcast app you're listening on allows you to rate the show, please leave a four-star or five-star rating. Any rating is greatly appreciated. This is episode 88. We got a great show planned, so let's get into this. Journey updates. Well... Not a great week. We went up three quarters of a pound this week. For the month of April, we have lost 3.6 pounds. Total since January 2019, we have lost 144.2 pounds. Total pounds remaining to get to the milestone of 150 is 5.8 pounds. Total pounds remaining to get to the 175 milestone is 30.8 pounds. And the total pounds remaining to get to the 200-pound milestone is 55.8 pounds. We are officially in week nine. We're about midway through of this diabetic experiment. And I had a whole bunch of things planned to bring Sunday to within my point value. And it was supposed to start on week nine. Well, I'm here to tell you that no matter how good the plan is, no plan survives first contact with implementation. I believe that wholeheartedly. We approached Sunday and I found out that we were having friends visit from New York. The plans for this Sunday were, were changing. We were going to be with them, have them over for dinner. So Sunday came, and I finished breakfast late on Sunday, probably between uh, 10, 30, 11 o'clock. I finished breakfast and said to myself, okay, well, if I finish breakfast and we're and they're supposed to come here at 3, what's the big deal, right? I'll just, I'll have... I'll skip lunch and go straight to, you know, dinner at three, right? Be no problem. So three o'clock comes and they arrive. We're, you know, we're talking. We're having a good time and everything else. Appetizers on the table. Dinner didn't end up getting served till closer to five. I thought it would be not too far after three. So my rookie mistake, yes, I still make rookie mistakes at three years into this journey was skipping lunch knowing that these things could happen. So I ended up feeling ravenous and going after the appetizers on the table, which threw off the entire day. Track it, moved on. No big deal. 
It is what it is. All I can do is make next Sunday better. If the plan is to bring Sunday below its points, then I failed this Sunday. Next Sunday will be different. That's all I can do. So next Sunday, we are going to bring lunch to as close to zero as possible. I mean, even if, in reality, even if I have a salad, the salad's going to have dressing. So there's going to be some points. It's not going to be an all zero point affair here. It is what it is. You know, I've been thinking, I'm analyzing the whole idea of the diabetic experiment. Because I don't know if, I mean, in previous episodes I mentioned this. I have hypoglycemia. Now, hypoglycemia, if you don't know, is kind of like diabetes, but it's in reverse. So instead of your body not producing enough insulin, like a diabetic would have, the body produces too much insulin, which is causes you to have like feeling faint and all kinds of stuff. You're shaking like crazy. The one thing I noticed here is since I've done this diabetic experiment, I have not had a single episode where the sugar dropped. Had a not, not a single one in nine weeks. Now, was this a regular occurrence before? No, but you know what? Things used to catch me off guard. They would, I would eat, and it would take a combination of things, and then all of a sudden it would happen. Okay, so it wouldn't be just one thing. Like the very first time I ever had an episode because of hypoglycemia, it was because I was eating pancakes. This was before I even knew I had hypoglycemia. I was eating pancakes at a at a restaurant, and about two hours after we we had the pancakes, I was like ready to faint. I felt all kinds of weird. End up going to see a doctor, finding out about me having hypoglycemia and all this stuff. And so the one thing the doctor said to me, listen, the best way to deal with this is to stay away from the sugar. Because if you don't, if you don't eat the sugar, you don't have the problem. I managed as best as I could since that point on where here and there I would have an episode and it would be because I combined things, you know, like, so I never went after pancakes again because I was too afraid of the syrup versus, you know, everything else. And the same thing goes for like stuff like ice cream. I don't go after those things anymore because they're so incredibly high in sugar that it's almost guaranteed. Especially when you add all of the fudge sauces and caramel and all this other stuff. And it's another reason why a lot of the times saying no to any candy is comes pretty easy because I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to deal with my sugar dropping, having everything, especially if I'm around people, it's embarrassing. The whole idea of it is embarrassing. And then everybody's like, oh, do you need to go to the emergency room and all this stuff? And no, no, I got it. I got it. But it was really stupid. It was a stupid move to get caught in the situation. Since I've been on this thing, I haven't had a single episode in nine weeks. And this is leading me more and more into thinking that not only is this sustainable to be on the diabetic plan, 
you know, in my mind, it's smart. Because if I've avoided an episode in nine weeks, because I'm following this plan, it's definitely benefiting me. Have I gone nine weeks before? I can't tell you. I mean, sometimes it would happen two times in a week. And then sometimes it wouldn't happen for weeks. So it was just all depending on the situation. Here was one instance where I knew it was almost guaranteed. And I would almost save sugary items again so that I would have it for an hour or so later. Because that's how it happens. You eat something high in sugar, body produces too much insulin, you have an episode where you, f- you feel like you're going to faint and your, your sugar is dropping. This time period between eating the high amount of sugar and having the episode is typically around two hours. So I even had it down to a science as to when it would happen. But it would almost always happen when going out to the movies. The combination of my favorite movie snacks, popcorn, uh, chocolate-covered peanuts, Twizzlers, and yeah, no, that's it. Just the three of those. Those are my favorite things. When I go out to a a movie, I want chocolate-covered peanuts, I want Twizzlers, and I want popcorn. And I know also that the combination of those three things causes my sugar to crash every time. It's not, it's a guarantee. It's not if, it's when. So I even got it down to a science of keeping a few of the Twizzlers in my pocket or a few of the chocolate-covered peanuts so that when I came close to the two-hour mark, I pop a few of them and then my body wouldn't go through the episode. Is this a good idea? I can't tell you. All I can tell you is this is what I did. I'm not saying that anybody who has hypoglycemia should do the same thing. I'm just telling you I was given a situation and like so many people in the world, when they're given a situation and they love the thing that the situation is caused by, they rationalize or they create scenarios where they have to deal with it. So instead of eliminating, they adapt their lives to make a sugar crash a normal occurrence. How do you deal with the sugar crash so that you can still go out to the movies, eat your favorite snacks, and move on with your life and not have an embarrassing moment? That's what I did. That's how far I went. That's far, And I still do it. Still to this day, we don't go to the movies that often, but especially not in the last three years. But when we do, I want those three things. Something about those three snacks. You got the popcorn, has a little bit of salt. You got the chocolate-covered peanuts. I think they have brands that have salted peanuts that are chocolate-covered. So it's like salty and sweet. That's my thing. Mixing them together. To me, having a sugar drop became a normal occurrence in which I knew I was going to have to deal with. And how would I deal with it? Rather than change my life and never deal with it, I did what I needed to do to adapt to life with it. It's kind of what I want to talk to you about today. 
I watched a film on Friday night. I was talking to my studio coach, Terry, and she informed me of a film that was on Amazon Prime. And it's a documentary about a man who he did not eat any refined sugar whatsoever. Anything that was sugar-related came from natural things, like fruit. They didn't come from the powdery white substance we all love so much. And that documentary is called That Sugar Film, and it's on Amazon Prime. And I would recommend everybody, everybody watch this documentary. Because the things this man put himself through, because the entire documentary is him deciding to start eating refined sugars so that you can see what happens to the body when that happens. And some of the, some of the notable moments in the, in the documentary, like he's pointing out how he had four apples in his hand. He was saying how the, if he was going to eat these apples, he would eat and get full with tops, two of them. And he said, basically, he was pointing out that this is like a perfect package. The apple rolled up into one because of the fiber, because of the sugar. It's sweet. It's, it's pleasing to the tongue. All of these things all wrapped into, uh, into a small package we call an apple. And then we invent something to make it more efficient. Everything that made it so that it would be impossible to make the apple unhealthy for us, we invented a machine that would turn something as natural as an apple into something that can be unhealthy. So we got a machine that turns it into juice. If he ate it naturally, he could only eat two. But because he turned it to juice, he was able to eat the sugar of all four of them. Because the juice took all the fiber, everything that would make you feel satisfied, and throw it in the garbage. And everything that would make you have problems ended up in a glass and down your throat from four apples. And I can't remember, he gave a teaspoon amount to everything he put in his mouth. So how many teaspoons of sugar is this equivalent to? whether it was a natural thing or whether it was a unnatural thing. And he started off with some healthier things, things that we would look in our lives as healthy. And the documentary goes through the whole fad from the, I forget what year it was, where the, it was a battle of what was the, the enemy. Was fat the enemy or was sugar the enemy? So it came out at that time that low-fat diet was the way to go. And then they, people started buying all these low-fat items, and then the, the industry, the food industry, decided we had to make this food taste better, so what they do to all the food? They added sugar to it instead. So instead of ingesting fat, you were ingesting sugar. And he represents all of the things that he eats with how much sugar, showing you how much sugar is in each of the items by spooning it out of a bag that you would, you know, when you go to bake cookies and you need to buy sugar, you buy that five pound bag or whatever it is. 
he did everything by teaspooning measurements out of there to show you what you were eating is equivalent to this much sugar. And there was one part of the documentary where it was called Sugar Comparison Day. And I'll never forget it because, I mean, he sat there and he had like a rotisserie chicken or something, something like a roasted chicken for lunch in a dish. And then he had a sauce. It was a teriyaki sauce. He said, I could use half of this sauce and put it on the chicken and it would taste great. Or I could just do the equivalent in sugar. And I can't remember the amount of teaspoon. I want to say it was 10 teaspoons, whatever it was. But he spooned refined sugar right on top of the chicken. Just spooned it on there. And then he ate it. Because that's what was hidden in the teriyaki sauce. That we don't realize. That we don't care to realize, I should say. Because we know it tastes sweet. And there has to be some kind of sugar in there. Right? We don't pay attention to those things. And how many of us don't even actually track sauces and condiments when we're dealing with Weight Watchers and the things we put on our food? I'm guilty of it too. This whole demonstration of sugar comparisons where he could eat something or He could just add sugar to whatever the item was. And it was just disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. And then they demonstrated the, how the body reacts when sugar is introduced. What, you know, how, what insulin does in the body. It's all like a, it's a very visual demonstration in the inside of the body to make you really understand And, you know, for the first time in my life, as I'm watching this, I started to understand the desire to be on keto. I started to really understand when, especially in the insulin demonstration of what insulin actually does and how when you cause insulin to be flooded through your blood because you ate sugar, your body cannot burn fat at all. The whole fat burning thing, any fat that's present in the body at the time gets stored because if insulin is present, fat cannot be burned. And it's because of the introduction of sugar that insulin is present, so really it's our fault. And this is why keto, you can't ingest any sugar because the whole point is to burn the fat in your body. To get your body to a point where you are burning fat. There was another part in the documentary where he goes to one of the my favorite places. I haven't been to this place in, God, I can't even tell you how long now. Because I knew that it was high in points right away. And I refused to drink points. But... Before I was on Weight Watchers, we would go out to eat and we there was this diner called Metro Diner. And we'd go out to this Metro Diner and everything else. And within, in the same shopping center, so a few steps away, was a Jamba Juice. And I, I wasn't into the pies and everything else that they would serve at the Metro Diner for dessert. 
So I'd say, because we would eat outside, and literally the courtyard where the tables were set up for the Metro Diner is right next to the Jamba Juice. So no one would leave the table. I would go to Jamba Juice, get something to drink, some smoothie I wanted, and everybody else would order whatever dessert they wanted from Metro Diner. So we would all finish our meal and go home. Well, he made a stop at the Jamba Juice in the documentary. And the same size Jamba Juice that I would get every single time I went. Now, I don't know if the different flavors, how far off could it be for the different flavors? How far off could it be? I don't know, but I know, based on what he did, the one he chose, there were 34 teaspoons of sugar in that drink. And I have hypoglycemia. (laughs) And then when he shows the equivalent of, in order to get this much sugar naturally, how much fruit would you have to eat? He demonstrates the total amount of fruit you would need to eat in order to ingest 34 tablespoons. And it's crazy how we have adapted to sugar in our lives and how companies have made it so unbelievably easy. And they come out with this bullshit story of calories are calories. And they they put it in a million people's head. Calories in, calories out. That's how you lose weight. Meanwhile, if I have a 400-calorie Snicker bar, whatever it is, and I have a 400 calories worth of grilled chicken, they're trying to say that those two things are the same. That's what the food industry tells you. You have to know that's a lie. I'm not going to lie. This this documentary took me to a very dark place. I'm going to talk about that dark place a little bit more after the break. Don't go anywhere. Hello, I'm Donato Russo, and I am the Ranting Weight Watcher. I wrote an affirmation. It's called the Ranter's Creed. I dedicate that affirmation to all of you who are watching. Nothing can stand in your way because you are an unstoppable force. Your challenges crumble in your presence because you are so strong. Your insecurities no longer have power over your life because you are so confident. Your mistakes are your choices and you are okay with this because you are so intelligent. The mirror and the scale no longer haunt you because you are so beautiful. You can face any circumstance with unwavering support because you are so loved. The demons of your past can no longer torment you because you love yourself. 
All things are possible as long as you believe because God is on your side. You will achieve all of your goals, not if, but when, because you have no boundaries. You are the champion of your story because you do whatever it takes to win. No one can take what you've done away from you because you are the author and the hero of your story. Arise, champion. The victory is yours. Because you are enough. sticking with me so we started off the show talking about a documentary I watched over the weekend and I told you how this this documentary sent me to a dark place now this feeling has been building up It's it's not something that just suddenly hit me I couldn't describe it at first. We're talking about six months here that I've been feeling something toward food. Now, I would I described it before when I didn't really know what to call it. I described it as I feel disgust. Like disgust of my attachment to it. Kind of a thing. I felt disgust toward food. And sick of having to deal with, you know, because really, when you're addicted to food, there's no escape from it. You need food to live. You don't eat, you die. That's, that's all there is to it. Right? It's the only addiction you have to deal with for the rest of your life. I mean, people can walk away from cigarettes. You, are, you become addicted to cigarettes, you can walk away from them and never do it again. You can walk away from alcohol and never drink again. You don't need cigarettes or alcohol to live. If you don't have cigarettes and alcohol, you will not die. I'm not saying that you're not going to desire it. I'm saying you will not die. And I'm also saying that you can't do the same thing with food. I would argue that food addiction is the worst of all of the addictions to have. Just because you can't leave it. You need it. You require it. So over the last six months or so, I started to feel this disgust toward food, toward my attachment to it. And when I would try to tell people that's the word I would use, I would use disgust. 
I guess disgust is understandable. And then one day, I want to say, I don't know, four, six, eight weeks ago, something like that. Call it two months. I'm in a workshop Saturday morning, and someone in the workshop says that they feel that they're dealing with food resentment. And it was like a light bulb went off in my mind. That's it. That's what it is. It's resentment toward food. And it was just like, huh. That's the best way to describe what I've been feeling. This documentary caused me to go from resentment to hatred. And you know what? As I watched it, I actually watched it more than once. Because I, there's no way you can get everything from this on the first try. We live in a world where things get our attention way too easily. We're touching our phones like, what? How many times an hour? How many times every few minutes? Our attention spans have shot to shit. And something in a learning experience, we would never grasp the amount of information, especially in this documentary, watching it just once in the kind of world we are in right now with social media and all this other crap to distract us. It's ridiculous. So I watched it more than once. So this guy is Australian, okay? And he's doing this all based on Australian averages. And he feels moved to go do this in America. So he takes a trip to America. And he tries to do the same experiment to keep his... Because the Australian average was 40 teaspoons of sugar a day. And he didn't think it was going to be it was going to be able to to do it. Meanwhile, the first day in Australia, when he started the whole thing, his first meal being breakfast ended up being 20 tablespoons of sugar. <laughs> and then he goes, that's when he it hit him like, oh my God, it's going to be a lot easier than I thought. He came to the point where he thought it would be harder to stay under the 40, to stay at 40 teaspoons a day. And then he came to America, and I think the 40 was right out the door with the sugar that's in everything in this country. And I started to feel bad for the guy because when he came to America, he had a genuine concern. He actually thought he can help people. And people you can help. But he tried to do it in a way where he was going to the source. He was going to the source like they didn't already know the cause of sugar on the body. Because in this short week, in this short period of time that he had been ingesting food, his, everything in his blood went out of the way, went, went crazy. It went crazy, and he went from being a perfectly healthy individual into ingesting the same amount of calories and be developing fatty liver and God knows what other problems he would have developed because the experiment was 60 days. 
And he developed those things in no time. Meanwhile, his calorie intake remained the same. 2,300 calories per day. On the healthy side or on the unhealthy side. And they try to say to you, calories are calories. And if you want to lose weight, burn more calories than you take in. Because that means something. Meanwhile, when he started ingesting all these sugars, he went from a perfectly healthy individual to an individual with all kinds of health problems in a very short period of time. How, how could that be? How could that be? It was ridiculous. And he went to the companies that create the products. There was a kid in the show, and it, it's enough to make you want to be sick. But this kid was, from a young age, introduced to Mountain Dew. I mean, into the point where it's being fed to him in a bottle. That's how far it goes. And his teeth were rotted out. And he had to have them all pulled at 18 years old in order to get dentures at 18 years old because of Mountain Dew. This guy starts going to the companies themselves. And the companies are like, eh. Basically, people should know what they're ingesting. And in moderation, this food can't hurt anybody. And, I mean, with what I know of this world, I could have told him, this is the answer you're going to get. You're wasting your time. Because one thing pushes the entire world. One thing. Money. Money pushes the entire world. If you can see it, if you have eyes to see, there has never been a more perfect moment to see the Bible scripture, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all evil. That's not the entire scripture, but that's all I need. For the love of money is the root of all evil. There has never been a moment in our lifetimes, in anybody's lifetime, where that scripture isn't so easy. I mean, you just look around and that's all you see is that scripture. And if you can't see it, you're not ready for this message. Sorry to say it. It doesn't take much. It doesn't take much to notice how disgusting the display is all around you. And how we are guided to think a certain way. Millions of dollars are made because we choose to stay ignorant. Millions. We would rather believe what some pretty face on a news broadcast tells us 
than to see the world for what it is. You have diabetes. You should change your life, says the doctor. But here's some medication instead. What do we do? Do we take the medication or do we change our life? You have high blood pressure. You should change your life. But here's some medication that will help you. What do we do? Do we take the medication? Or do we change our life? Think of everybody you know. Think about how many people you know have diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, you name it. Think of all of them. And think of what they chose. Did they choose the medication to enable their ability to stay with the things they love to eat? Or did they choose to change their life? You don't have to be on medication for the rest of your life. But we would rather have the things that please our tongue more than we would rather have our life. We destroy our bodies. Destroy our bodies. Drinking, smoking, with zero hesitation. Eating, zero Hesitation, zero accountability. We kill ourselves every step of the way. And you know what? Who's getting rich off of that? Are you telling me there are no billionaires because a bunch of people are addicted to smoking? Are you telling me there are no billionaires because there are a bunch of people addicted to alcohol? Are you telling me there are no billionaires because there's a bunch of people who love to eat? We choose it. We choose to kill ourselves. Because we love what we ingest more than we love ourselves. And then we have the nerve to say, oh, God took him home early. He went home to be with the Lord. It was his time. People are delusional. Delusional. If God had a time and a place where he was coming to take you that didn't have to do with the rapture, if he had a time and a place where he was coming to take you, what would free will have to do anything of it? What would your choice to serve him or not serve him have to do with it if this was the case? God called him home early. No, it wasn't the fact that he ate 4,000 calories a day and got himself a heart attack that sent him to heaven, right? It wasn't those choices, right? It was because God wanted him there. It wasn't because he drank a whole bottles of, how many bottles of whiskey and decided to get in a car It was God's time to take him home, right? None of it is our choices. None of it is our fault. Our time is our time. It has nothing to do with the choices we make, right? We do all of this to our body. We choose medication 
to enable us to continue abusing our body. And there's a bunch of people getting rich off of that too. And then the whole world goes into chaos because of a virus. And people are afraid to die. As if dying from a virus is worse than having a heart attack, lung cancer, liver liver cancer, whatever it is. I don't get it. I don't get it. Dead is dead. Heart attack, gunshot to the head, virus. You're still dead. How is one worse than the other? The end result is the same. We choose to abuse our bodies with all kinds of nonsense. And then we're terrified of a virus. 80% of the dead from that virus were obese. 80%. How many of them would still be here if before the virus existed, they chose to live a healthy life? How many of them could have fixed their lives? Because what 80% dead being obese tells me is that that means 80% of the healthy survived. So if we chose health, If we chose health before the virus existed, how many of them would still be here? Yet we all freaked out. Freaked out. Because of a virus. Yet we were already killing ourselves every day we live. Determined to kill ourselves. Also that the people who remain can say, oh, the Lord took them home early. No accountability. I don't know what to say anymore. I don't know what to say about any of it. Sometimes I wonder if this is all for nothing. So many people send me emails and messages on various platforms. And so many times they say, oh, you're so motivational. You motivate me. You inspire me. You're so determined. But what good is it? Because it just makes me think of one question. It's wonderful that I motivate you. It's wonderful that I inspire you. But what have you done with that motivation? What have you done with that inspiration? Because if you've done nothing, what good is any of this? What good is me sitting in here behind this microphone week after week? Spending hours away from family. 
if you do nothing with this, I can't make you get it. I can't make you take action. I can't make you understand how important this is. How many of the 80% of obese people that died from this virus, how many of them, if they just grasped the information here and lived a healthy life, how many of them would they be inspiring right now with their change? How many of them would have a wonderful story to tell? Because the virus wouldn't have killed them. And yet, I tell you all of this, and I can't make you do anything. It has to be you. It has to be you that takes the action necessary to achieve what you say you want. I can't do it for you. Just get it. Get this. Get this and know we don't have the time we think we have. It'll be over before we know it. And then what? And then what? It's time to take action. No more waiting. No more messing around. I love each and every one of you. God bless you all.